If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Today we bring you the fourth episode of Beyond Us, an IAI miniseries made in association with Essentia Foundation. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Us series by the Institute of Art and Ideas. My name is Bernardo Kestrup. And my name is Fred Motzer. In this series, we are exploring four concepts that underpin and define the modern world. Knowledge, competition, language, and growth. And in each episode, we're joined by a leading thinker to help us, and hopefully you, see each concept in a new light. This is the fourth episode of the series, and today we are discussing growth. The concept has come to play a key role in almost everything we consider important and desirable, from business and economics to psychology and happiness. But this concept has ancient roots that differ considerably from its modern applications. Here to discuss the concept of growth with us is former chief business officer for Google X, entrepreneur and the author of the book Solve for Happy, Mo Gaudat. Mo, it's a great pleasure uh, to have you here. Thank you. Um, we will be discussing growth today, which may come as a surprise or a slight surprise for the listeners of uh, Beyond Us and the Philosophy for Our Times, because it seems to be such a clear concept, right? Growth, an increase in something, an increase in a quantity somewhere. But uh, we suspect that there is more to it. We think that the concept of growth goes deeper. There are more subtleties and nuances. And one of them may be that um, we hardly think in terms of qualitative growth uh, in our society today. We think always in terms of quantitative growth. We describe the world through quantities in physics, um, economics, which is driven by quantitative growth and dictates largely how our society works. So what is your take on that? Do you, do you think maybe we are overemphasizing quantitative growth at the cost of qualitative growth, which may be deeper and more important? What an amazing question and topic to cover. I, I'm grateful that you 
you know, would want to listen to my view on this. I think we're overemphasizing growth to stop with, to start with, uh, before we even talk about quantitative versus qualitative. I think the reality is that um, um, we've built a society in a capitalist environment that is all about more, 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 and more seems to be what uh, we we sort of measure life by now. When in reality, there are many things in our lives uh, where growth is not that great. When you really think about it, uh, you know, about your early years in life when you were a child and happy and having the best time of your life, uh, you know, and then you grow. And, you know, the more you grow, the grumpier you become and the less, you know, uh, free you become and the, less, uh, the more out of flow you become. You know, you're a young person and you're, you're fully in touch with your feminine side and masculine side and you're engaging in life and then they put you in the work environment and you grow what do you grow into more and more of a masculine creature that is all about doing all about achieving all about analytics and so on and so forth uh, you know we continue to grow further for a very long time and then eventually we end up what aging you know being frail and dying growth is not always an interesting target to have i, be, I believe that um, uh, that truly finding your true self should be the target to have. Now, add to this, of course, your point of view, where we start to identify everything by, uh, uh, again, a capitalist uh, ideal of it needs to be a title, it needs to be possessions, it needs to be, uh, you know, comparison between me and others around me, when in reality, uh, you know, you could grow uh, in terms of the people you benefited in your life today. You could grow in terms of the love you've given to others today. You could grow in terms of your understanding of yourself today. And none of that is actually measured as a, um, as a qualifier of growth. When you think about it, uh, I spent uh, maybe 25 years of my life in corporate America, have done really, really well. Uh, you know, in my last job as the chief business officer of Google X, I've achieved quite a lot. In the previous job before that, I've, you know, expanded Google to 4 billion more users and, you know, made a lot of money. And then, you know, in my personal story, when my son left our world and I assigned myself the, the, the target of 1 billion happy, you know, the mission statement openly between us as a team in 1 billion happy is, if by the end of my life I've spent every dollar I've ever earned on making a billion people happy and we've achieved that amazing target and then, uh, you know, we became completely forgotten. We've managed to, you know, galvanize a million champions to champion a billion happy and we became completely forgotten. Isn't that an amazing life? Isn't that true growth? Uh, you know, not just for me, but for the world around me. Thank you, Bo. Um... Yeah, I think uh, it is very, very heavy on anybody to lose a child. Um, I lost my brother, brother when he was 21, uh, related to suicide, still not known why. But uh, here also is growth. And um, when I ponder about growth, I see on one side, Around us, we see nature. We, as humans, are one of the billions of expressions of life, but there are so many other expressions that grow, decay, and die as we do. 
And then indeed, we see as Bernardo put the question right, we associate growth, basically we hijack the word growth while we mean to increase. And we try to increase stuff that we take away from nature and don't see the effects of that taking away and making it in combinations that we like and we use. So how do you compare the natural world to a human attitude that abuses the growth and instead takes in Greece for growth? I, I, that's such an interesting view of it because what are we growing? Huh? We're growing um, the number of cars we have in our garage, the number of recreational trips we have, the number of devices that we use and so on and so forth. We're growing our life of luxury as opposed to what are we losing? What's the price that we're paying for all of this? And the price is very straightforward. The price is we're losing the planet, right? And, you know, and, and it, it's, it's quite interesting because if we told everyone, uh, by the way, for every uh, gallon of, um, uh, of, of fuel that you use, we're going to tax you a day of your life at the end, uh, people will start to think, oh, interesting. So if I was supposed to live 70 years and I used 365 gallons, uh, I, I will you know, live 69 years only. That's an interesting thing to think about. And, 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 the, and the truth here is that we're taxing our entire life. We're taxing our entire planet less and less years you know, to live. We're, we're just literally telling everyone for you to have the convenience of commuting to work alone and have the luxury of flying over to the Maldives and burning tons of fuel because your beach that is, you know, at 10 kilometers or 100 kilometers away is not good enough. Uh, yeah, I think it's because nobody's really thinking about what are we growing and what are we um, um, uh, losing, uh, you know, in, in, in result, uh, as a result of that. It's, it's, it's simply like telling a bodybuilder, you know, go to the, uh, to, to, to the gym and grow your muscles massively by using st steroids or whatever, but understand that three years from now or seven years from now, you're going to be fat and rounded and you're not going to be able to keep it going, right? And, and it's, it's interesting because, yes, we want to grow, but shouldn't we grow um, what actually matters? I mean, on my podcast, on Slow Mo, I hosted the, um, the uh, host of a, of a very ne famous Netflix documentary called Connected. And basically, the whole documentary speaks about how every one of us and every part of life is connected, right? When, when, you know, it, it basically speaks about how you changing something in, you know, the Sahara in Africa would end up affecting the Amazon uh, uh, forest and in the, in, in the process in the middle, kill a few sharks and, you know, take a, a, um, a couple of ships on track and so on and so forth. And I think the challenge with humanity is that we don't see it that way. We, we see it as, hey, I want to drive another thousand kilometers. And, and, it, and I, I think what we're doing is we're shrinking. We're not growing. We're literally killing our planet. When I was a, a kid in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, more in the beginning of the computer and automation revolution, 
um, there was a lot of talk in the media about uh, you know automation reducing our workload that mm -hmm. these more uh, uh, these more uh, you know uh, laborious tasks uh, would be performed by computers and machines and robots and we would have a lot more time for ourselves uh, which it would be great for growth because we would have time to grow then as people um, but because of this mad rush for uh, increase as Fred put it not growth uh, mad rush for increase which we call growth um, we, we still work more than we worked back then uh, probably because we are in this desperate mad dash to keep growing I mean in the corporate world I was in the corporate world for over well over 20 years and there is this adage that a company that doesn't grow is a dead company yeah. so now we've equated increase with existence so mm -hmm. if, if we don't increase, we no longer exist. Yeah. Um, isn't that a fantastic missed opportunity for true growth if we would stop this mad dash and then focus on actual growth as nature does? I, 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 I think it's, it's mad in so many ways because uh, from one side, we have had a definition of growth uh, that's actually not at all related to growth, right? So if, if you ask me, I mean, I, I, I post that a lot on social media and I speak to a lot of, uh, you know, varied people on my podcast, but I actually do speak to quite a few monks, right? And, um, you know, I, I'm fascinated by the impact that meditation would have on your health and life and so on. And so I interviewed Matthew Ricard and Ajahn Brown and, you know, uh, Tupton Galen and Tupton uh, Jimpa and so on. Uh, sorry, Galen Tupton and Tupton Jimpa and so on. And they tell you that their life is a life of growth. And I'm like, hold on. I mean, Matthew Ricard uh, is a PhD in cell biology, right? Uh, who gives up on all of that and, um, you know, goes through a life of 45 years of meditation and self-reflection and teaching and so on. And I asked him and I said, Matthew, you know, you've given up on a wife, on a family, on a PhD, on a life. And, and he says, well, um, but I've gained myself. Hmm? And, and when, you, when you think about it, I, I was like, so what, what do you mean? Huh? What, what have you uh, gained? And he said, well, you know, I actually am happy. I feel centered. I feel I feel balanced. I'm not hungry, okay? I don't crave anything and, you know, not have it. Uh, not because I have everything, but because I don't crave most of the things that people crave, right? And, and you know, it's a, it's a very long story. Having said that, I will be very open and honest. Hmm? Humanity in the last, you know, 100 years has created an incredible civilization. I mean, when you really think about it, just take something like average uh, um, age, and mortality rates. We've grown the average age of humans from 40 some year, years, uh, you know, just 100 years ago or less, to more than 70 years in some countries, 80 years as an average, 78 years as an average. That's not a bad thing. That's not something we can complain about and say, huh, but you know, working too hard for that is the, is the bad price to pay. You know, it's a great thing that civilization contributed. So, so there is a benefit to having uh, uh, you know, advancement and progress. The question really is how much of it is enough 
and what's the price we pay for it? How much is enough? Is a very, very interesting question. Hmm? Do we need an iPhone 13? Hmm? And if the, if, the, if the price of the iPhone 13 is gonna be horrendous impact on the planet and your stress level and your life and so on, maybe then we don't. Hmm? Uh, and, and, and that's an interesting question. So, um, you know, um, I, I, worked, I worked many years in my life in technology and then I eventually decided to leave technology and focus on One Billion Happy. But, but my next book is actually on a very different topic. My next book coming out hopefully in a few months is called Scary Smart. It's about artificial intelligence, right? And if you, and I, you know, I don't want to scare anyone. I actually have a very optimistic outlook on, on everything if we, do, uh, if we do it right. But I'll tell you openly, huh? if you see the impact that technology, the missed promise, as I call it, huh? we promised people more time for their family and loved ones. We took away more of their time. We promised them uh, mobility, we gave them frantic uh, uh, pressure. Uh, we promised them utopia and we gave them stress with technology. Hmm? Uh, we promised them information and we gave them a lack of privacy. Uh, we've used them as products to advertise and all of that. Hmm? Now imagine that and give that to an artificially intelligent machine and start to question what's the price that we're going to pay for that. Hmm? And then you start to question why are we doing it in the first place? And Sadly, in my book, I say it's because of something we call the three inevitables. It's going to happen anyway. And the question really is, what are we going to do about it? But that constant, constant drive for more. If, as, it's as if a call center today is not good enough. We need an automated call center that's run by Alexa. No, it's not for my benefit. Don't lie to me anymore. This is not my benefit. This is the benefit of the company that doesn't want to pay the call center operator. Okay? Don't sell it to me. Don't lie to me. The truth is we don't need more. We do want more in terms of health research and maybe some you know, in income equalization or whatever. There are many, many problems in the world. But a better call center? No, I apologize. You know, another iPhone? Not really. Mo, that, uh, I love the idea that your central theme is to make as many people happy as you can. Mm. So that means basically that you want growth in happiness, not even in number also, but in quality of happiness. Seeing other, So that's a quite something on the natural side. It's not only seeing growing of something material, but a feeling within because we cannot measure really happy. I cannot say I'm more happy than you, only that I can be more happy than yesterday, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So being a man of IT, um, how can we, that what we have built, and basically so we have taken away all other elements from nature so that the natural growth is limiting on that side, but having done so, how can we use those tools to bring people back on our team to make people more naturally happy? Well, well, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think there is a misunderstanding of happiness, again, because of the capitalist world, if you don't mind me saying that. We, you can't sell happiness because we're all born happy. I mean, look at a child, you know, if, if they're loved and saved and fed and given their basic needs for survival, 
they don't, you know, wonder why their neighbor has an Aston Martin and they don't, okay? They don't, you know, uh, ask for an Xbox to be happy. They don't want anyone to like their butt shot on Instagram to be happy. And, and I think the idea is that, you know, if, if we were left to our nature uh, and, and, and the world allowed us to remove the reasons for unhappiness, what's left behind is happy. But you can't sell that. You know, Aston Martin cannot go and say, hey, buy your, you know, I'm not attacking a specific company, but, you know, luxury cars companies cannot tell you, hey, by the way, happiness is innate within you. Uh, you can find it by uh, really, really accepting life and doing what you, the best that you can. Um, you know, that's not a very good sales strategy. And so we're in that place where we're taught to criticize everything. So we see what's wrong with everything. We're taught to, uh, to, um, to uh, want everything that we don't have and never feel contented with what we have. And because of that, we're constantly unhappy. Now, happiness in my work is very measurable. It's very predictable. It's a simple equation. Happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. And I'll, I'll give you the, the, the starkest of all examples. I, I started 2020. You know, we all do New Year's, New Year's resolutions. I did what I call the New Year's intention. I, I don't like resolutions. They sound too much like targets from my boss. So my, my New Year's intention for 2020 was it's going to be my year of silence and space. And so they lock us down. Whoa. I'm like, wow, thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the lockdown, right? And of course, as you look around the, the world, there are many, many people who are very, very, uh, you know, m stressed and, 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 and felt very unhappy about the lockdown. Hmm? And when you think about it, it wasn't because I was locked down differently than anyone. It because, it's because my wishes and hopes from life was, was that I would be able to become what I used to call a half monk, spend 50% of my year in, in monk-like retreats. So you lock me down and I'm like, hallelujah, the world has provided, right? Now, now, does that mean I'm disrespectful of the need of people who are in lockdown and feeling deprived and feeling alone and feeling, you know, scared by COVID-19 and so on and so forth? Not at all. Hmm? But, but here, is, here is my definition of happiness. Actually, let me start with my definition of unhappiness because it's easier to understand. Unhappiness is when events minus expectations is negative, okay? It's when the events of life miss your expectations and hopes and believe of how, beliefs of how life should behave, right? Now, when that happens, your brain, your system, gives you an alarm in the form of an emotion. That emotion is simply telling you something is not exactly how I want it to be. Just pay attention, please. It's, it's, it's worthy of your attention, Okay. Now, when you think about it this way, unhappiness and shame and regret and fear and worry and all of those negative emotions is simply a fire alarm. It's a survival mechanism. Now, if you understand it this way, you suddenly start to realize, oh, what is a fire alarm for? Is it there to annoy me? Is it there for me to switch it on every day a few times just to feel the noise? Or is it there for me to tell me uh, that there is something that might be a threat, verify if it's a threat, and if it is, take action, okay? And, and think about it this way. If a fire alarm goes off in this room right now, what, what will I do? The natural thing to do is I will walk outside, I'll verify if there is a fire, and I'll take action. If I do that, 
I don't suffer the noise of the fire alarm anymore, and I've made my world better. Now, interestingly, that's not what we do about happiness. Hmm? You, you know, your partner tells you something hurtful on, on Friday, right? So on Saturday, you wake up and say he or she doesn't love me anymore. On Sunday, you wake up and say it's because I'm fat. On Monday, you say, um, I hate dating, so I'm never going to go on, date, on a date again. On Wednesday, you say he or she must be cheating on me. I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life al alone. Now, when you really think about that, the event happened on Friday. Hmm? Uh, it hurt your feelings. That's a fire alarm that basically says, send them a text and say, baby, can we please talk about this because it hurt me? But instead, you choose to, to play the fire alarm again on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. That's like the Netflix of unhappiness, okay? I, seriously, I mean, it's unhappiness on demand. The event happened and is over, and you choose not to do anything about it, but sit in the fire alarm. Now, if you ask me, is that manageable? I mean, can we actually control that? Yes, of course. Control it like you control the fire alarm. I have a flow chart of three questions, okay? Question number one is, if my brain tells me he or she doesn't love me anymore, I'll ask the question, is it true brain, okay? Is this statement true? Should I upset myself for the rest of my life about it? Or are you just freaking making this up, right? If it's true, if it's not true, I'll drop it. If it is true, then question number two, what can I do about it? Is there something I can do about it? Can I talk to them? Can I maybe, you know, send them a text message? Can I leave them and look for someone else? Whatever. If there is something you can do, do it. If there isn't, okay, then yeah, maybe that's like now the Jedi master, master level of, of happiness, but it's not very difficult. You ask yourself the third question, okay? Can I accept it and do something that makes life better despite its presence, okay? My partner seems to be breaking up with me and there is no way we can fix this. I could sit in a room, hit my head against the wall for 27 years, or I can simply say, okay, that relationship is over. What can I do now? Can I get up, go to the gym, find another partner? You know, is there something I can do to make life better despite that breakup? And if we think about life that way, 99% of the things that make us unhappy, in all honesty, don't deserve the unhappiness. They, they, you know, I, I had a friend of mine walk into my office once and you know, she said uh, the Uber driver was super rude. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry about that. So she said, okay, can we go have coffee? And I was like, that's it? You're not gonna complain about the Uber driver for, a, for half an hour? And she said, why? You know, it was a seven minute drive. Hmm? He was super rude. Should I spend the next seven hours of my life complaining about it and ruin my day? Seven day, seven minutes, done. I told you it's off my chest. Let's go have coffee. What you say strikes me as being as simple as it is true, uh, Mo, and simplicity is the hallmark of truth, uh, in my view, based on my own experience. Um, how would you relate your understanding of happiness with a more nuanced, more natural, deeper uh, idea of uh, growth? So I define two things. So my equation says events minus expectations. It doesn't say events minus ambitions, okay? Uh, and these are two very different things. So, so you know, when, when I started, uh, I wrote Solve for Happy, my book, it became an international bestseller. And, and then I went on TV for interviews. Some of them got viral within eight weeks from release of uh, Solve for Happy. We had seven, 87 million views of which more than 10 million uh, had taken action. At the time, the mission was 10 million happy, right? So we sat back as a group, we were a group of four or five at the time, and we said, let's increase the mission, okay? I didn't go from 10 million to 12 million, I went from 10 million to a billion happy, 
Now, that is an ambition. Hmm? Don't get me wrong. Huh? It took Jesus 2,000 years to reach a billion people. I am nobody. I'm never going to reach a billion people. It's, it's as simple as that. But it's a wonderful ambition to have. Hmm? It's a wonderful directional uh, aspiration to wake up to every morning. Hmm? My expectation, on the other hand, is I am a normal human. I know a little bit about this topic. I can probably reach out to a few thousand people a day. And hopefully, hmm, if I reach out and do this right, I'll make a few hundred people happy every day. And maybe every now and then, I'll have someone excited enough to become a champion and spread the message on their own. Hmm? And you'll never know. Maybe, if I, as I said, as per our mission, if I, if I do this enough, those champions will trigger other champions and we'll have a million people making a billion people happy. Now, that's an amazing, amazing, amazing dream. But it's not an expectation. I can't hold myself down to it and say, you gave yourself a target, a billion happy, you have 10 years more to live, you know, you need to get a, a 10 million or 100 million happy every year, you're falling back on your target. I can't do that, okay? All I can do is to say, woke up today, have two public talks today and an interview, reached a few hundred people, did a post, you know, with a proper content online. That's the best I could do today. I wrote a book, I'm editing, hopefully, uh, you know, on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. <clears throat> Great, that's the best I can do. And that's a proper expectation. If the expectation hmm, is met, I'm happy. If the ambition is missed, I'm realistic. No, all of a sudden what goes through my mind, Mo, is... I think 20, 30 years ago, a friend of mine, Dr. Jerry Jampolsky, said uh, he was uh, meeting Mother Teresa. Mm. And she was somewhere in the slums of India. And she was taking care of a very ill person. And mm. then somebody came to her and said, dear, dear uh, Mother, please be aware there are 10,000 people waiting in an auditorium uh, to be uh, addressed by you about um, health and all that kind of stuff, re indirectly, of course, related to health. And now we, we talk in numbers, and then her answer was, but you can see what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So that brings to me always reflection, um, where am I myself with my attention? Totally. Am I close to the person that needs me most at this time? And while being aware that perhaps uh, there are somewhere else are people potentially can be healed as well, but in bigger numbers. And how do you look at such a choice? What would you do at, in such a situation? My, and I ask the question, you may ask perhaps what, how does it relate to growth? For me, it relates to the growth in my consciousness that I ask these questions, how can I be more assistant in healing? How can I be a more whole person? How can I grow to a more, more whole person? I, I, uh, I, I'll, answer two, I'll answer this on two levels. Um, uh, level one is, and I say that with a ton of respect, huh? We humans have somehow forgotten how flimsy we are, okay? We've started to learn to play God hmm? uh, all the time. It's as if I am the one that's going to make a billion people happy. When I, when I wrote Soul for Happy, uh, you know, I have that very weird approach of testing things, like I test software. Hmm? 
So I, I spoke about Soul for Happy in Stanford University and in Hong Kong Technical University. Okay, and at the end of my talk, before the book was even published, huh? um, before my uh, at the end of my talk, which was normally eight hours, a full workshop for the whole day, uh, at the end of my talk in Hong Kong State University, a wonderful woman walked to me and said, uh, "By the way, you have not chosen this mission." And I said. Uh, what do you mean? And she said, you have not chosen to make uh, hundreds of millions of people happy. At the time, it was 10, 10 million happy. Uh, she said, that mission has chosen you. Okay. And so I was, I was looking at her and then someone else asked the question, you know how people would gather around after, at the end of a speech. So I looked at them and said, uh, just give me one minute, looked back at her and she wasn't there. Right. And in my mind, she just hit a very in interesting chord. Hmm? because she reminded me of what my son used to teach me. So my son who left our world was really, really, really my guru in so many ways. And, you know, I, I'm, I was that Google executive who always looks at the world as billions of opportunities. And, you know, I need to reach a billion more users, you know, make a billion more dollars and so on and so forth. And I had that illusion in my head that I actually can do that stuff because I've done it many times. You know, I've started businesses, I've grown stuff and so on. And he walks into my room, Ali, and he says, Papa, there's something I need you to understand. I think he was 17 at the time. And, and I said, what, Habibi? And he said, you're never going to fix the world. You know that. And I was like, what do you mean? Why are you bringing that? Why, where is your spark, Ali? Why don't you have a spark in you that gets you excited every morning? And he said, Papa, listen to what I said. You're never going to fix the world. Okay? There's always going to be someone suffering. There's always going to be someone in need. There's always going to be someone that's unjustly treated. You're never going to fix the world. Hmm? What you can do is fix your little world. And if you fix your little world, your little world will grow. I said, oh, okay, that actually sounds interesting. What does that mean? He said, well, you're trying to make so many people better at work or whatever. Make yourself better. Okay? You're trying to make so many people happier, make yourself happier. If you do it well enough, you'll be able to make me and my sister and my mother happier. And if you do that well enough, you're going to extend to the rest of the family. And if you do that well enough, you're going to get to your department, then your company, then your country. And then the world will send you people to make them happier because you got better at it. So instead of trying to reach a billion people when you're crappy at what you're doing, just be good at what you are by fixing your little world and then your little world will grow. And when you really think about it, most of us end up changing the world from the most unexpected place ever. Okay. So, and by the way, not about changing the world, changing your life, changing your family, changing your career. All of the things that really mattered, ever mattered in your life, happened so unexpectedly. Okay. Most of them were not your design. Most of, the, most of them were not even on your plan. I interviewed on slow-mo the most incredible angel because you said Mother Teresa. I think the living Mother Teresa in our life is a person called Dr. Edith Ager. Yeah, Edith is just an absolute angel in a human body, 93 years of age. When I interviewed Edith, uh, uh, you know, she told me about how she was taken to Auschwitz uh, when she was 16 years of age, okay? And Edith uh, was there and she basically spent her time, you know, she walks into Auschwitz and the general, the angel of death, literally sentences her mother to death 
the minute they walk in, okay? And she spends the time in, in the concentration camp helping others survive, right? And she says, because I helped others survive, when it was the death march at the end of, the, of, of my journey in, in that uh, you know, story, I, would, I was so frail hmm, that I was falling to the ground. And then I would see two women coming from behind me, carrying me from both sides and keeping me going so that they don't shoot me, right? When Edith was found eventually after the war, she was buried under four layers of dead bodies and her finger moved and so the soldiers dug her out and she became, she, she, she stayed with us. Helped millions of people find contentment, find happiness, find peace. Through that experience, do you think anyone would ever sign up for that experience to become a teacher? Nobody would. Hmm? The world takes us through what we need to go through hmm? so that we develop our own self in a way that allows us to, to, to impact on the rest of the world. We can't grow the, the, the rest of the world. We can only grow our own selves. Okay? And if we think about life this way, I'm not God. I'm not aiming to find a billion happy. I am the tool through which some wisdom from older people be, before me, some discoveries from some, some scientists, whatever, is being channeled to the rest of the world. That's all I do. Hmm? And if we all start to think about our lives that way, we would be a little less arrogant, if you want, hmm? uh, in, in terms of understanding if the 10,000 people that are waiting in the speech are better uh, for me to focus on, or if this one person who I might change the life of, who might invent something that saves a billion people, okay? How, do, how can I tell which one is right? The one that's right is the one in front of me, okay? And if I can focus myself to say, in this moment, I'm going to do the absolute best I can to have a, a, the best conversation I can have with you guys, okay? And then when, when this conversation is done, I'll turn and focus on my next conversation at 8 p.m., okay? If I can do that right, then every one of those conversations will be the best it can be. We just stopped. We have to stop thinking that those choices are all up to us, that those choices are all... Uh, uh, delegated to us, those choices are sometimes the choices of the universe. The universe decides, I need you to be here because there is something you need to do for me here because someone else will pick it from you and then he will do something and then she will do something and then the world will change. To grow ourselves into instruments, right? Not into yes. main actors of the play. Um, Mo, a, a more sensitive, difficult topic um, at, at the core of what we call growth in our civilization today. And that's our economic system. You alluded to it earlier in the interview, capitalism. Uh, it seems our economic system um, is completely focused on growth. Investors invest to allow the development of new initiatives because they expect growth. We call it ROI, return on investment. Uh, everything we do is coordinated by an economic system that is focused and directed towards growth. And yet our planet is not growing. Um, the resources available to us on this planet, if anything, they are, they are being depleted. We are losing some atmosphere every year. For instance, a little bit of oxygen and noble gases and nitrogen. Um, how are we to 
to deal with it because all our, our, of our efforts, the way we organize our collective effort is informed by a focus on infinite growth, which is of course not possible at all to achieve. We will hit a wall at some point. So how are we to organize ourselves to grow differently? So, so, so there, is, there is no collective effort, sadly. I, I think that's probably the most misunderstood uh, uh, part of what we're go what, what we're up ahead uh, up, up against. I think I think the truth is um, I'm not a policymaker. I'm not an automaker. I'm not uh, um, you know I, I can't I can't change the world. I'll go back to that same point. Hmm? But I can change my world. I can actually make a choice hmm, that says. I'm not going to replace my Galaxy, I think I have a, a Note 9 or something, right? Regardless of how, how many times Samsung is going to advertise, I'm not going to change my Galaxy until it breaks. Or, uh, you know, something comes up, comes out that has a significant advantage to my productivity or positivity to the planet or whatever. Uh, until then, I'm not just going to have another fancy phone, okay? I can make a choice that says, I will... Uh, try to have as much of my speaking engagements and my meetings as I absolutely can on Zoom, even if they remove us from lockdown. It's all about individual uh, uh, impact. And, I, and I, you know, I, I normally work on several books at the same time. One of the books I'm working on now is called Understanding Fate. And when I talk about uh, the idea that the fate of our planet hmm, is in every single person's hand, I also discuss that same concept in Scary Smart, hmm? Uh, you, you know, when I say, when I talk about the changes we need to make uh, so that artificial intelligence actually loves us and takes care of us, hmm, uh, you may tell yourself, oh, no, no, that's impossible, that we need a law or we need like a president to tell us to do it. No. By the way, every little thing that's ever taken one side of a scale from the right to the left was done with the very last gram that you added to the right. Okay? And that very last gram is you. Hmm? That very last you know, uh, reduction in CO2 you know, generation that is destroying our planet is the, uh, uh, the, the thing that you burned yesterday. Right? It, you know, that, that the very last uh, uh, reduction of single-use plastic that kills, uh, uh, you know, takes uh, the life of a fish or a bird today was that tiny little uh, plastic uh, bottle cap that you threw away carelessly. Okay, so the change that is needed is you. Hmm? The only change that can actually make a difference is if you stop. I do a very interesting exercise, by the way. Hmm? I'm very, very obsessive about recycling plastic. But before I do that, hmm, I decided a few weeks ago to keep all of my plastic production or consumption hmm, on my, my, my kitchen's countertop before I recycle it. Okay. I ran out of space on day two. This is the truth. And it drove decisions in my life to see how much I'm doing, I'm, I'm generating. And so growth in that state, in, in, in that, in that, um, in that uh, um, uh, concept, if you want, is you growing up to be responsible. Now, that is the growth we need, okay? It's, it is you growing to the point where you say, I'm in charge. I actually can save the planet. I can actually make the planet happy. How do I do that? I make one tiny little change in my own life and then through six degrees of separation, see the impact.
Okay? And I don't think people see that. I, don't, I, I think the illusion of governance and the illusion of presidents that will make our lives better and the illusion of responsible corporations that will you know, start to produce products that make all of our lives amazing and responsible for the planet, dream on. Good luck with that. Okay? The only thing you can affect today is one less plastic bottle. Okay? The only thing you can affect today is a decision that you're not going to buy another iPhone. The only thing that you can affect today, I drive a 2004 car. Okay? I make it as efficient as I can. I drive it twice a week. Right? Don't, don't tell me I'm going to buy electric and I'm going to... Just understand. I mean, of course, if, if you don't have a car, buy a, an electric car. Huh? If, you, if you do have a car, understand that those choices make a massive difference, that the big difference between... Uh, you know, uh, saving our planet and not, is to commute less. It's not which car that you use. Those cars, for them to be produced, are also polluting our planet. For us to get rid of them is also polluting our planet. And don't think about all of that. Think about yourself. Can I grow up and be an adult and take charge of my life? That's it. You, you've done that. You've grown. Hmm? The results are not up to us. Mo, you're an amazing person. I hope, thank you, not one billion, but seven and a half billion people listen with their hearts to what you have to say, read what you have to say. This is not my expectation, but it is my ambition that all seven and a half billion of us uh, uh, give you, pay a lot of attention to what you have to say, because oh my God. That's this great. is the one way to, to get out of the mess we are in. Thank you very much for being with us uh, today. I highly appreciate it. Thanks so much. And thank you, listener. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Growth was the last of the four concepts that the Beyond Us series has explored. For those of you who can't get enough, don't worry. There is a final bonus episode in store where Fred and I will be reflecting on each episode and the series as a whole and seeing if we can come to any conclusion of our own. Thanks for listening or watching and until next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.